Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Jams TV Podcast, where we spin the jams and spill tea. And this week, we are coming at you with two brand new reviews for two brand new albums. We're going to be talking about the latest released from electronic art pop synth pop person fever ray we're gonna be talking about their new album radical romantics as well as the newest album from pop girly miley cyrus we're going to be talking about the album endless summer vacation yes indeed it is a no men week this week we're we're we're, we're rejecting the men uh, in true form as well and you know given our own individual identities as well it's fitting that we're going to kick this off by celebrating another non-binary artist uh karen dreyer um uh, no or i'm probably I, I probably just like anglicized that so badly uh, it's it's definitely, it's definitely <laughs> way to show respect dickhead it's definitely karen uh Jaya. i don't know i don't know i'm probably gonna make it worse by trying to actually <laughs> say it properly beaver ray is their artistic name the artistic solo project of this person who you may also know as one of the two siblings behind the knife as well which is a project which is the original project that fever ray kind of uh, spawned from with their fantastic debuts this year fantastic self-titled debut in 2009 uh and that felt like a very much a one-off although the knife were and have continued to be kind of known for uh releasing records infrequently they kind of go away for a while and they come back and they gear up with a, a massive artistic undertaking that is usually a complete rehaul of their sound as well like the knife are officially like on a permanent hiatus now so they're not making records anymore but when they were around they made four albums and each of the well five albums i guess if you count tomorrow in a year and each of those records sounded completely unlike the previous record with you know some similarities that made it distinct and obvious that it was the knife usually curran's vocals but each of those projects is so distinct and so innovative in so many different ways like the particular brand of dark synth wave and synth pop that fever ray became known for was really kind of fleshed out for the first time on 2006's silent shout and then 2013's shaking the habitual which is turning 10 very soon and we are going to have a special video to celebrate that because that is one of the most uncompromising, unflinchingly weird, difficult, uh, straight up bizarre albums that's come out in the last at least 10 years. So it's going to be really fun to talk about that. But so much, you know, discourse around the knife and discussion of the knife's music and their, you know, radical politics as well. Like their radical left wing politics have always been a huge part of what the knife's music is about and what Ray's music is about, as we'll get into as well. Um, but in 2017, quite unexpectedly, uh, Curran did come back with a second Fever Ray album called Plunge. I wasn't hugely into this record. In fact, a lot of people weren't really hugely into this record. It was received a little bit underwhelmingly. But I did come back to it this week. And though my opinion hasn't really changed all that much, I do think that maybe I was a little bit harsh on it initially. It's a fascinating record. It's a more deliberately uncompromising and brutally sexual album. And sex and gender and sexuality are obviously key themes of Curran's music that they have really examined in quite raw and um, sometimes brutal ways, both in their solo work and in The Knife. 
And that was certainly true of Plunge, right? It was just a, a slightly more tasteless and just raw examination of those ideas. And it feels quite, you know, and still does feel quite, you know, refreshing and frank to have these conversations about sex, these quite explicit and, um, again, uncompromising com conversations about sex and gender to, to be coming from someone who was in their early 40s when Plunge was released and is now 47 uh, at the release of this new album, Radical Romantics, the follow-up to Plunge. And the cool thing about Fever Ray and The Knife, and I, I love both of these projects, but particularly with Fever Ray, it's like they go away long enough for you to miss them, and then they come back and, for the most part, usually deliver something that really challenges you and 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 makes you remember why you love them as well. And Radical Romantics isn't exactly one of the most, you know, dense or com complicated uh, records that Corinne has released musically or thematically. It's very familiar territory in a lot of ways uh, in both of those respects. But there is this new lens and there's kind of, you know, it, the, the question of seriousness and all that kind of stuff when examining Curran's art, I think, can kind of get in the way of one of their chief motivations and one of the chief attributes of their music, which is that it is very fun and mischievous. This is something that people seem to pick up on very easily with the Knife's music, which has a very kind of dark sense of humor about it, but have not has not necessarily been a part of the conversation as much with Fever Ray. And this feels like, in some ways, an attempt to correct that. Because while... You know, the themes that Curran talks about are quite heavy and can be quite serious. They approach them in a much more consistently irreverent light here. But also it feels like a little bit more of an intimate record as well. It feels like a little bit more of a per personal record. It feels like a record that is talking about a lot of these ideas and themes from a very sort of micro level personal perspective. Curran talking abstractly, but still you know, fairly intimately about their own life, about their own experiences, about where they are now at this point uh, in their career and in their life. And so the album itself, it reflects that intimacy and reflects that sense of stripping back the, the density and the weight of previous projects. Uh, I think it would be accurate to call it lightweight if that word didn't have this kind of negative connotation associated with it. This is a lightweight record, I think, for the most part, in a very positive way, in a way that feels as though it's not bringing a lot of expectations or a big burden or a sense of you know, gravitas to the table. It is just attempting to be a very fun, a very enjoyable, but also a very meaningful album in a certain sense about what it is like to navigate your own gender and navigate your own sexuality and navigate your own relationships at this particular juncture in life for Karen. And, you know, we're non-binary as well, so we can share in some of Karen's experiences, but their particular life and the particular place in their life that they're at now is obviously a very something that we probably can't relate to all that much so the album i think is interesting for that reason i also find it really refreshing as well and this kind of ties into what i've been saying to have you know a synth pop and this is very much a straightforward synth pop album from fever ray particularly following a string of projects whether it be the last fever ray album or the last knife album that are so dense that are so conceptually woven that are so like 
these massive tapestries to pull apart. It feels very refreshing to get something that feels so frank and really easy to just put on and enjoy. Like throughout the week, I've put this record on fairly regularly and prepared myself to be sent into a mind state where I have to be really analytical and really kind of like willing to take in all of the dimensionality of the information that Karen's going to throw at me. And I don't really get that. I get a really fun, a really peppy and a really emotional experience packaged in the form of a really just fantastically enjoyable synth pop album. Now, Jake, I know you're much newer to Karen's music than I am. I'm curious what your uh, experience was listening to their music this week and specifically with this album. Well, I started off the week by uh, listening to the self-title because that is a record that has like kind of been on my radar for a long time. And a lot of people I know really like that record. And I'm familiar with the opener because of its memorable usage in season four of Breaking Bad. Um, and it was just, it was just always something that I knew that I needed to get to just because I remember it being talked about for a while as sort of a... Um, I, I don't know if it's earned maybe like modern classic status yet or anything, but like basically anyone I know whose authority I take seriously on electronic music considers that to be a pretty landmark release for that, you know, that end of the decade or at least the, the beginning of the 2010s. So I figured I should at least be informed uh, by that record a little bit. And I was very struck by how unique and forward-thinking that album still felt, you know, even more than a decade from its actual release. So that sort of interestingly set up my expectations for this record, which ended up being a very different experience, in my opinion. There's a distinct darkness and a kind of monochromaticism in that first album which is not a disparaging term at all it's very vivid in how stark it is sometimes but it's a very dreary experience often it can have more groovy kind of danceable elements but it was very focused on being kind of a brooding atmospheric record and i'd say that this album is kind of the opposite of that this is a brighter way more colorful album that is just inundating you with all of these different synth tones these really really groovy passages and these really eccentric vocal performances that feel a little more like they're still very like processed electronically but i think that they feel a little bit less so than before i feel like they're just a bit more um maybe indicative of perhaps Curran's sort of uh more confident status in their identity perhaps uh which i i do get a sort of overriding feeling uh on this record because there it is kind of sort of a art pop dancey record that actually made me think a lot of the most recent arca project um not only in like its sound but its very straightforward approach to its themes of you know sexuality identity and all that but also just in the sense that a lot of the timbres on here are very arca-esque i was reminded of arca's work on utopia uh very often on here uh on some of my favorite tracks on here in fact it's like uh uh carbon dioxide my favorite track on here for instance is kind of like if uh the sound palette of 
Utopia was stripped into being like an EDM dance banger. Uh, and that shit is just super awesome. Uh, I really love when it gets kind of more uh, in that kind of poppier mode, uh, like on stuff like uh, Shiver, for instance, or Candy, which are notably two songs that also play into the kind of adoption of a certain persona on here that's very again forwardly very sexual but in a very playful way like i think you kind of hit the nail on the head when this is an album that really benefits from maybe not necessarily being like lightweight but it, it is a very it benefits from being a very low stakes project, in my opinion. It really only succeeds by the merits of which it sets itself up to succeed. And for that reason, I think it's really consistently enjoyable. But that doesn't exactly mean that this album is a two-dimensional experience. I actually found myself getting more and more out of the very strange, very oddly slanted lyrical themes, which do at first present themselves as kind of a odd aesthetic choice just in the way this is all written it kind of feels like it's more in service of the music than it feels almost like communicating an idea uh and, and in some respects that's true but there's lots of instances on here where i'm really captivated by what they actually have to say most notably in the song that i kind of feel like is the thematic centerpiece for the album which is looking for a ghost i was gonna say and the same song yeah Hey, well, that's the thing is that I really love the central metaphor and idea here of how they're trying to communicate their identity being directly analogous to the concept of a ghost, both in how it's kind of liminal, both in how it's kind of transient and sort of not defined by one specific solid state, but also the concept of being a kind of like low stakes being like someone who doesn't involve themselves enough to be taken down by the the dramatic weight of another someone who can sort of slip through life with you know less kind of baggage and it sort of feels like that sort of complicated thorny idea feels almost like it paves the way for a sort of liberation on this album that feels like it's freed itself from these sort of confines and it really does sort of feel like on these tracks that the the non-binary identity has been embraced fully as not just like not just like a gender but like a creature like a like a being in and of itself that feels like it truly exists as far away from the binary as humanly possible and i find that aspect of this record really fascinating well what i love about it is the way that karen explores this idea of non-binary identity and of their exploration of their sexuality as this constant like pursuit as this constant sense of of discovery and unfixedness it's the idea like one of the things that is liberating about embracing a non-binary identity is embracing this idea that you're not fixed to a particular set of schemas or ideas for how to behave or how to conduct yourself or how your life is going to go how your relationships are going to go how the way you experience your own identity is going to be laid out for you or prescribed. And this is something that Karen seems to talk about a lot on this record is this idea of discovery, this idea of exploration and experimentation with their sexuality and with themselves and through other people as well and through encounters with this kind of understanding underlying it that if something doesn't work or if something 
you know, goes wrong or if something isn't where they ultimately feel comfortable and want to be, they can move on. I think that's what looking for a ghost is about. It's like, yeah. looking, it's this idea of the freedom to explore and to experiment and to discover and try things with the understanding that if it doesn't work, you can kind of put it behind you. And it's aspirational in a certain sense as well, because life is mm -hmm. more complicated than that. Life doesn't always work that way. You don't always get to just completely shut the door on an experience or a period of your life that didn't work out the way you wanted it to. But, you know, a lot of radical gender politics is inherently aspirational, is inherently idealistic and focused on the nature of of aspiring to a new ideal ideal for self-identity and for um sexuality and and kind of unpacking what it takes to explore and reach that ideal and and what the limitations are in terms of the real world politics of the real world sociology of the real world just the culture that you exist in all those kinds of things and that is something that karen i think writes about um you know somewhat abstractly but still fairly distinctly uh in a lot of their work and particularly here as well i think that is the core of what the album title refer refers to as a radical romantics it doesn't you know it, it's both like there's multiple layers of meaning to that as well like there's radical romantics in the sense that you know the the particular politics that you are essentially forced into when you identify when you identify outside of the gender binary and the nature of your sexuality and, and your your whole existence basically becomes radical becomes specifically focused on a very distinctly far left wing pathway and there's the idea of radical romantic romantics in a more kind of insular sense you know exploring radical ideas of how to be romantic of how to be sexual of how to be a sexual being uh within that world specifically and obviously the those two things you know the wider sociology of gender identity and the specific intimate experiences of exploring your sexuality are related but they are also these separate experiences and separate aspects of you know being non-binary or of of um conforming to a sexuality that is non-conventional basically it feels like it's trying to reckon simultaneously the singularity of your path that you want to achieve through like going through this wave of actualization with your identity and the vastness of possibilities of the world and that like you have a freedom and you have this sort of spectrum that you can explore but there is still a distinct solitude of you and what makes you an individual and you unique and i think that is kind of that balancing act is what i think they are trying to channel on mm. here yeah and it comes through uh, one of the my favorite songs and uh, on the record that explores and you know, the specific idea of you know what the nature and, and the feeling of exploring and experiencing and and stepping into a new world of possibilities through your sexuality is new utensils which you know mm. in very true current form you know abstracts and and talks about yeah, even just the title new utensils and the song is you know refers to very specific things that are usually and probably most often metaphorical but represent the kind of ritual that you go through when you are exploring an experience for the first time or kind of discovering how you feel about a certain thing or you know even just with one other person how you negotiate becoming intimate with a particular person that you haven't been intimate with before or discovering a new intimacy with them uh, lines like whatever works lips fists a mouthful of words these different ways of manifesting different kinds of intimacy that karen is exploring. very arca there yeah absolutely and 
you know, another thing that Karen has explored in previous songs as well, that comes through in a song like Shiver as well, um, how you navigate your relationship to conventional, you know, gendered sex- sexuality and um, the gender binary as well. Uh, there's a lot of, this is probably one of the moments where the record gets a little bit more political as well as we, as we would expect from Karen as well, talking a little bit about um, stereotypical female attributes and behaviors and things that are seen as desirable and Karen kind of doing their thing that they love to do with this topic, which is make it all seem very kind of disgusting and disturbing, um, not in a kind of chastisey way, but in a kind of provoking and prodding at the sort of sinister nature of um you know our what do these with. ideas really mean and represent and what does that say about the people that hold them yeah necessarily even so karen kind of teases out these sorts of ideas but again the record kind of really shies away from exploring a lot of them through a directly political lens it just comes back to intimacy and the personal experience so much particularly on songs like um north and tapping fingers on the back half of the record as well like tapping fingers an incredibly intimate song as well mm-hmm. um karen essentially just kind of speaking directly to a lover and and you know detailing these intimate gestures and these moments and and the feeling of being with that person you're soft i'm in the parking lot ready to pick you up ready to burst ready to curse the few hours we've got who am i while wanting you are they laughing at my thin skin building a nest of pins a head to rest on a limb and that refrain as well that the title refers to of tapping fingers as a way to speak it's just this real tactile direct intimacy that Corinne conveys through these very small and kind of you know in a vacuum meaningless gestures that ultimately communicate so much between them and this other person as well and this is a nice direction for Karen for me as an art as a fan of of Karen's art it's refreshing and it is um, really nice to see them feel comfortable enough to go in a direction where they are getting so intimate and so personal and not kind of shrouding that in the politics as well. And because that was the thing that um, made Plunge so interesting, but also kind of made it feel like a little bit redundant and a little bit like Karen was kind of retreating old ground that that they had explored much more potently in Knife Records. Um, there's that memorable, the most memorable lyric from that album, this country makes it hard to fuck, uh, which I always think of a lot because it's just this perfect encapsulation <sighs> of, of living in an environment that is essentially treats you like an alien. But what I love about Radical Romantics is while you know, you get a sense that the struggle against that is always kind of still going to be ongoing. It's not something that plagues this album. It's something that's kind of peripheral to it. It's something mm-hmm. that once that Corinne on plunge was kind of outside that bubble was kind of being held back from their fullest expression and from full happiness by having to kind of attack that. Whereas here it feels as though they have kind of been able to permeate through that shield essentially and be in this much more intimate space you know the feel of this album and and some of that really intimate lyricism reminded me a little bit of under the skin the jonathan glazer film which certainly explores this kind of like idea of 
uh, discovering and navigating intimacy and what intimacy means and whether intimacy requires actual humanity uh, or whether it is just physical connection and physical touch. And, and that movie is really thematically interesting in a lot of different ways that I don't think many people talk about. But I feel like an affinity between that film and a lot of um, Karen's more personal art here. I feel like a lot of this too is almost like they're striving towards what I can only conceptualize as like almost a utopian ideal of pop music because it sort of feels like they're, they're that sort of attempt to put the things that hold you know these identities and these ideas back to put it on the periphery and to you know the whole album being about the pursuit it sort of feels like a step forward a way to again pursue that kind of liberation and that sort of free form sense of just being unrestrained and i feel like sonically the album certainly reflects that with its like invigorated color and its constant danceability like this is just like uh, you know bigger ideas aside is that like for about a solid 85 percent of this album it's just a banger like the whole thing is so much fun and not to mention i feel I, I live in a state that is currently uh, uh, today, as a matter of fact, uh, going through uh, passing some particularly nasty anti-trans uh, healthcare kind of stuff. So I feel like I got to listen to this in a particularly validating context and that it felt almost like an act of protest just to enjoy it. It sort of felt as though I was able to sort of act through it. And I feel like ideally that's what this music is for. It, it's to take everything that could be plaguing you or causing you doubt or insecurity that's sort of stymieing your idea of an idealized self putting it aside and just getting to, to to be yourself, whatever that idea may mean to you. And it's so cool. Like it, it's really well embraced, I think, by this album's cover art, which is so over the top, like it, confrontational and how like aesthetically antagonistic it is. It almost looks like it almost looks like one of those expressions that you would see in like Tim and Eric's awesome show. Great job. Like, I feel like I could see <laughs> Tim Heidecker making the little face and just like the, the amount of like makeup and the strange hairstyle and everything. It just, it feels like this is an attempt to, to poke and prod at the established conventions. And there doesn't need to necessarily be anything like super deeply rooted about it. I feel like that, for as much as I think that maybe that the self-titled was perhaps a more definitive musical statement, this to me feels like a more artistically just sort of holistic statement. Like as like trying to communicate not only thematically what you're doing, but like melding it with the music and creating an outcome mm -hmm. that comes as a result of both of these things interacting. Not to say that the self-title didn't have moments like that, it did. But to me, that was again, uh, a phrase I like to use is that sometimes an artist needs a couple of records to establish a musical grammar. And this is feels like Fever Ray's attempt to take that grammar and actually start building stories with it. Yeah, well, I think they those two records reflect. Well, again, I'm 
uh, projecting to a certain extent here because I don't know them. But those two records, mm. I think, feel as though they reflect different stages or different parts of this person's life. Like, like the self-titled seems to come out of a much darker place um, to me, whereas this record is more expressionistic, is the word I would use to describe mm -hmm. the difference in sound between the two. This record is just more colorful. It's more extroverted. It's more confident in a lot of ways as well. And that reflects yeah. what the album is about and the stage that uh, Corinne seems to be at in their life, at least as far as we can tell from um, how they choose to write about it. And I think nowhere is that more, you know, incandescently joyful and ecstatic than the song that I think we both agree is the highlight of the album, Carbon Dioxide. Just banger. An absolutely amazing, heavy, just fucking balls to the wall, flooring sort of EDM synthwave track with so much just joy coming through in every element of the percussion and of the production and of uh, the, the music itself, as well as just being the song that is about the sheer power that comes from true connection as well that refrain holding my heart while falling like being in this constant state of free fall but feeling protected and feeling unified within someone else such that the falling doesn't matter and if anything it only enhances the euphoria of the experience i mean it's so primal the feeling the song is about that you know corinne does ultimately use the metaphor of you know, nat of natural compounds and of carbon dioxide itself, of chemicals in the atmosphere, basically. It all kind of boils down to something that is far more ephemeral than the actual tangible human form. They describe it in their notes as the extra everything of unconstrained nature, uh, which is a phrase I really, really love. And, you know, the record has sort of darker and stranger moments. The record has, again, I've already kind of highlighted, alluded to it, more irreverent moments. Um, there are two collaborations on this album between Fever Ray, yeah. Trent Reznor, and Atticus Ross, uh, the most notable of which I think is the song Even It Out, which I knew about before the album came out because there were a few headlines about the subject of the song, which is a song where uh, Corinne is essentially calling out their son's uh, childhood bully and I, I love the the sheer rambunctious energy of the song as well and that kind of you know declaration that we're we know where you live and we're going to come after you and we're going to take back what ours and what's ours and we're going to cut 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 that's so feels so Hard. true to uh the sorts of the attitudes that I'm familiar I'm used to from Karen and the Knife's music as well and yeah, it's really cool just reading about how this collaboration came out as well, just purely because Karim was such a huge fan of Watchmen and the TV series <laughs> and um, used that as an excuse to reach out to Trent and Atticus and ask if they wanted to collaborate. You know, um, I definitely I definitely hear that from the Watchmen soundtrack in this. There's definitely a through line of just like the specific, you know, textures that they evoke on something like that. I, I there, There's definitely a kinship that's not quite... Like, it's probably closer to, like, later Nine Inch Nails, but I certainly think that fans of, like, that sort of blend of industrial and electronic stuff that they do or their score work would find themselves really at home here just because this is an album that's certainly getting a, a decent amount of attention, but it, it's also an album that I feel like is just not being talked about enough, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And in the other collaboration with, with Reznor and Ross, the song North, which I think is one of the highlights of the back half of the record, there's this beautiful sentiment in here, like the power of language as an expression of intimacy as well. Because a lot of the album touches on, you know, physical intimacy and physical expression. But as I alluded to with um, Tapping Fingers as well, 
what intimacy means to Karen is quite complicated and can encompass a lot of different things and a lot of different ways of expressing oneself. And the power of words is something that they really focus in on, on North. You know, they take a really, you know, a cliche that's been sung a million times um, and they make it feel genuinely meaningful and kind of, you know, emotional and, and kind of striking when they say, what if I told you in the whole wide world, there is no place I'd rather be, you know, heard it a million times but here when Karen sees it, it feels different. It hits different. Oh yeah. And then they say in the verse, uh, a map of words is a way to pass sex forward, like a way to thrive. That's poetry. Like mm -hmm. it, it, it's embracing and understanding the relationship between different forms of intimacy and how they can enhance one another. It is not just about physical touch and sex. It is about, and it is not just about language and communication as well. It is about how those two things can become melded to create this heightened state of ecstasy and euphoria, gender euphoria, and individual sort of physical euphoria. And it's so, so beautiful. Um, I, I love that so much. The record ends in a really curious way with uh, Bottom of the Ocean, which is actually a piece of music that's been around the block a few times between uh, previous Fever Ray releases and even some of the work of The Knife. It recalls to me uh, the song Fracking Fluid Injection off the back half of Shaking the Habitual, one of the more contentious moments of that album, which we'll talk about when we talk about that album, but also sounds a lot like um, some of the more, some of the other more freeform experimentations with the human voice that Corinne has done uh, in, in previous efforts uh, as well. It's interesting, I didn't know this, but apparently this track was originally composed to soundtrack a play adaptation of Ingmar Bergman's Hour of the Wolf. And it certainly has this one sense... of my 10 favorite movies. Holy shit. And it certainly has this sense of eeriness to it. Uh, and there's definitely, I think, something pointed about the decision of resolving this incredibly frenetic and busy and danceable album with this kind of freeform avant-garde exploration of the human voice. It's like taking some of the ideas of intimacy that this album has explored and just pushing them to this incredibly extreme point where you're just exploring intimacy through this, through the sound of the human voice essentially reverberating in the space. It does, you know, structurally, it does mean the album ends on a bit of a sort of anti-climax, but the other side of the coin is that the album gives you so much that I'm willing to indulge this kind of more, I guess, cerebral exploration of theme um, because it does sort of make sense in the context of what the record is doing thematically, uh, even if it is a bit, of a you know sort of a bit of an abrupt way of ending the it's, album it, it is also seven minutes long which you know <laughs> it, it does that knowing that they worked in something like the knife which is this again deliberately antagonistic project sort of makes this choice make a little bit more sense i this is probably the moment on the album that i'm kind of the least on board with but i still think it functions within the context of what the album itself is doing and i appreciate it for that but just in a more musical sense it's just also something that i'm just kind of like yeah. eh, i no, I, I don't really know and i kind of feel like i'm not meant to know at in in a way 
Yeah, no, I feel that. I'm definitely curious to see how you respond to some of the more similarly antagonistic moments on Shaking the Habitual when we review that in a couple of weeks' time. But yeah, for mm. now, I'll say I think this is a fantastic record. I definitely enjoyed it a lot more than I enjoyed Plunge, even if the retrospective arc that I've got now appreciating what each of the three records are about helps me to appreciate that record a little bit more. I think this is a much stronger album. I think it's really refreshing because of its more extroverted and if for lack of a better word just purely positive exploration of um, sexuality and gender you know they're not themes that have to be explored by non-binary artists in a euphoric lens I think maybe that can be sometimes a little bit overemphasized in the kind of art that we talk about and sometimes uh, art that is truly about struggle can be kind of uh, more recently anyway can be kind of like shut down and I understand why mm -hmm. but Regardless, I think it's an awesome, uh, fantastic, just really fun record that I've been enjoying an awful lot this week. And it's just great to have them back. And yeah, stick around for our, our retrospective discussion of Shaking the Habitual coming very soon. All right, shall we do our three favorite tracks and rating for Fever Ray's Radical Romantics? Jake, why don't you go first? Favorite track on here, Carbon Dioxide. Huge banger. Uh, I'll say Looking for a Ghost and also shiver great little groove on that one love that uh least favorite yeah bot bottom of the ocean certainly it's just a huge contrast to the sort of striking consistency of the rest of the record frankly but i still wouldn't really take it off the album but uh yeah enthusiastic seven out of ten all right, my three favorite tracks are Carbon Dioxide, Looking for a Ghost, and Candy, which I didn't really talk about very much, but that song I think is a really is one of the most simple, direct, and effective explorations of the idea of intimacy and how much meaning it can bring to life, uh, especially after if you go through a period of being partic particularly dysphoric or you know in, in a difficult state. Uh, there's this sort of just raw beauty and comfort and the way this song embraces connection uh, that I absolutely love and also has one of my favorite instrumentals on the album anyway. Uh, I haven't even mentioned this as well, but there's regular contributions here from Olaf Dreyer, uh, Corinne's brother, who is obviously the other person in the knife as well. So essentially this is a, this is Fever Ray. This is Corinne's project, but you know, in, in typical and true Fever Ray fashion, you basically have, you know, all the personnel of the knife on board so you can kind of if you want to pretend that it's new knife music given that we might not ever get that again we'll see uh and i give it a 7.5 uh very close to an eight it's it's a fantastic record numbers aside just worth hearing uh, and worth celebrating all right let's get into our second review of the day which is the new album from miley cyrus endless summer vacation now miley cyrus an artist who does not need much introduction from us i mean we actually you know and many of you may not know this because it was a, a long time ago back when the channel was considerably smaller we reviewed the last miley cyrus album plastic hearts uh which was which felt like a very confident declaration of purpose for miley mm -hmm. as well because they had gone I keep using non-binary language. Miley's a woman. I can say she. Because because she had gone through this period. I mean, Miley's creative output in the 2010s, a, a good way of describing it would be fraught. Uh, she just went through a lot of different phases as she kind of tried to find her identity. And 
you know, who's to say that she even has yet, but it feels as though yeah. with this record and the last one, she kind of has settled into a niche in terms of who she is. But man, for a, for a, a good while there through the 2010s, and look, I don't say this in a, in a negative sense because I think it's awesome when artists allow themselves to just be indulgent and explore mm-hmm. and, and do completely different shit. Um, you know, Miley bounced, Miley was Disney Channel, you know, crafted originally and in those earliest records and it has some great songs that really hold up even if my personal childhood nostalgia for that music is definitely biasing me to a little bit of an extent you know, and ditto was... i know i know we both watched hannah montana we, we oh we yeah have. yeah yeah it was my favorite show when it was uh when it was actually originally running um you know, and then you had the bangers era, of course, with uh, Wrecking Ball and We Can't Stop and all that sort of stuff, which, you know, I think that era, you know, it's funny, we briefly alluded to, I think, or I briefly alluded to Skrillex in a recent Now episode talking about how right. that particular era of extremely over-the-top, indulgent, and just tasteless music kind of got so flamed by the purity critics at the time and just by general reputation from audiences that you know, looking back, it's kind of embarrassing to think about how intensely, unnecessarily negative people were about it all. Um, Same thing as Kesha, honestly. I feel like she's the predecessor for a lot of that sort of reactive turn that Miley had at the beginning of the 2010s. Which is to say, I think that Bangers is her best album. It just feels like a weird thing to say because it's an inconsistent record. It is not a record that, you know, it's not like no one's going to call it a great album, but it's like the most, I think, consistently adhering to one shtick that Miley has ever been with an album and it feels the most you know it reminds me a little bit of Lady Gaga's art pop actually which is my favorite Lady Gaga album because it also feels as though it is the one record she's made which adheres to a distinct uh, artistic philosophy that is interesting more and not doesn't just kind of feel as though it's plodding through its ideas Anyway, then you had the Dead Pets era with Flaming Lips, and that was, you know, we all had a lot of, we all had a lot of fun talking shit about about that incredible disaster piece of a record, and you know, Miley. Why they put the dick in the pussy? Whatever. I ask myself <laughs> on a regular basis. Philosophers right? have questioned this for centuries. Yeah, true. I mean, it is. That's going to be a fun one to maybe talk about when it turns ten in the future. Who yeah. Knows? Yeah. And then you had this completely forgettable rebranding into kind of country pop with an album that I can't even remember the name of. <laughs> uh, it's, I, I can see the album cover in my head and that's all I've got. I remember I liked her hair on that album cover. That's that's all I remember, really. <laughs> yeah, so nice. look, there was a it was, you know, it's a complete 180. Um, she tried to salvage her reputation. She had that one song. I mean, was it Malibu? Was that the song? Something like that. Something um, like that. Yeah. Was, the album's younger now, that's right. And and the song was Malibu, go. yeah. And that was, felt, felt like she was really, you know, she was kind of pivoting into this very nostalgic, retro-fitted, country rock, country pop aesthetic that at the time it felt very whiplash-inducing and it didn't really mm-hmm. feel like a lot of it landed or really any of it landed at all. But, you know, Miley found confidence with Plastic Hearts in 2020, which did feel like a real a moment where Miley kind of realized how to take this direction she was kind of trying to pivot into and really kind of make it feel as though it was legitimized and, you know, purposeful and had this genuine commitment to it. 
you know, she was really trying to be, you know, it was so on the nose that, you know, she even had Joan Jett and Stevie Nicks on that album. Mm -hmm. The two people I think that she was trying most hard to evoke with the way she presented herself. And we reviewed that album. It's an uneven record, but I do think it's a record that, you know, for the most part, a good half of that album holds up. Uh, there's some really good songs on that record and, uh, you know, Midnight Sky, What the Fuck Do I Know? And you know, there's some good songs on that record um, that I think... Showed the best version of how Miley was rebranding herself and how she could take her immense vocal talents. And she does have immense vocal talents. I actually think she's one of the five or 10 most talented vocalists in the mainstream pop sphere right now. And it felt like she was finding a way to use that. Uh, didn't always work. It was an album that was, you know, more, more produced on that album than there are stars in the sky. But you know what? That doesn't matter. It felt like it had an identity that I could connect with. And, and that felt like, okay, I see why I see Miley makes sense doing this, basically. God. Anyway, Endless Summer Vacation, the follow-up to that record feels as though it is Miley kind of trying to reassert a lot of what she tried to do with Plastic Hearts, while at the same time also kind of trying to branch out and maybe slightly complicate it you know it's a it's a strange mixed bag of a record because there are moments where it feels like again miley is trying to really underline the things that worked the best about plastic hearts and kind of lean into them further the problem being none of the songs on this are as good as the best songs on plastic hearts even no. the songs i do like you know songs like jaded for instance um where it feels as though she is uh and the song that comes after it that i've already forgotten the name of um rose-colored yeah, yeah, yeah. lenses you know jaded rose-colored lenses uh river yeah. and, you know, these are songs where i feel like miley is kind of recognizing what worked about the pivot she made with that last record and kind of really leaning into that aspect but a lot of the time and, and you do have times on this record where she experiments as well you have songs like handstand and uh well, you have Handstand and Violet yeah. Chemistry. <laughs> and Violet Chemistry is another kind of song that where she's kind of, you know, sonically kind of stepping into some stranger territory as well. And those don't really work for me, but I appreciate the effort. The thing about the majority of this album is that it feels just so muddled and completely unclear of its own identity. It has less less of a sense of unified vision and less of a sense of purpose and artistic identity for Miley than anything that she's done, maybe since her Disney Channel era, frankly. Uh, everything she's done since then, well, it's certainly, I guess, younger now, I suppose, kind of has similar problems. But yeah, I mean, this, so this was led by, I'll preface this by saying that the second time I listened to this, I liked it more than I did the first time. Not enough to say that I think it's a good album, but I mean, I was ready to call this terrible uh, the first time I heard it. And I appreciate this, the stuff that works a little more now. And I promise I will go on to shout out the stuff that works for me and why I think it works. But because it's the biggest song on the record and also my least favorite song on the album, I have to start with Flowers. Kind of a microcosm for all of my issues with this record in a lot of ways. It's not, and again, it's it's a difficult, yeah, it is kind of a microcosm for me as well, but it also feels as though in, in centering a lot of my criticism around the song, I'm kind of being 
maybe overly negative on something that is that a lot of um, artists have done, which is the self-love empowerment anthem. And I'm not saying that Miley shouldn't make these songs. I'm certainly not saying that female artists in general shouldn't espouse the virtues of self-love. Personally, in my own philosophy, I'm actually a huge fan of the idea that you should derive satisfaction from a, a state of being that doesn't rely on what another person thinks or the involvement of another person at all. That's a philosophy that in the last six months of my life, especially, has really helped me to not be completely miserable all the time. Just learn to be satisfied with what I have on my own. But there's something about these self-love anthems. There's something about these, I'll need you or whatever the fuck. There's something about these songs that just f makes my blood boil. I, it, I just can't stand this shit. It just feels so hokey and cheap and obvious and reductive. And I, I think there's a lot of really interesting songwriting material you could mine out of the idea of self-love and what that actually means very few artists really do that certainly miley is not doing that all it is is it's self-love in opposition to the, the experience of being in a shitty relationship essentially and that's not everything that self-love should be about it should not exist in opposition to being in a shitty relationship self-love can be something you embrace even if you're in a really healthy relationship and even if you're in a place where you're you know experiencing and sharing your life with someone in a very intimate way self-love and and happiness without that person should still be something you explore and embrace none of that matters and i'm not like i i, I admit I'm somewhat angry at the song for not being what i wanted it to be personally and maybe that's not fair but it's such a fucking stupid song. I just can't stand it. It's so annoying. It's so just smug and smarmy. And it's so just completely textbook. There's not even anything about Miley's own idiosyncrasy that she brings to the song. You know, it, it, it could have been made and could be anyone. And I get it's a pop song about a very, you know, tried and true pop theme. And I'm okay with that. But bring something to it that makes it feel like it's yours. And this just completely, immediately, I put the record on, I'm listening to this, I immediately want to turn it off. It takes <laughs> extreme effort to make it through this song for me. That's the thing, though, is that I think the thing that, it, that bothers me the most is that I'm willing to forgive a lot if I buy it. And the thing is with Flowers is that I don't. Like, everything here feels totally disingenuous. It feels like putting up a false, fake, confident front just to have the appearance of being fine, just to kind of stick it to your, you know, previously emotionally dependent self and whoever you were emotionally dependent on. And it feels like it's lending that so much weight that it abandons the significance of the independent theme that it's going for and i kind of feel that way about the entire album honestly is that it, it feels like a an attempt to deliberately obfuscate something and as a result it it's nothing but 40 minutes of miley beating around the bush it, it's her not getting to any significant points and i'm not trying to like that's the thing that was killing me is that when i was listening to this i was like how do i come across that i don't like this but I also don't like it not just because this isn't what I wanted it to be. Because, yeah, I mean, no, nobody, like, all five of us 
did not like plastic hearts. Like, I, I, I think it's fair to say that we all thought that that was at best mid, but it had moments on it where I was like, I don't really care that this album was underwhelming to me because if Miley builds on it, she can come back and do it better. And her, you know, dogged refusal to be pigeonholed is on the one hand commendable because that's not a bravery every pop star possesses and we often you know malign those that do but at the same time it's kind of like miley is suffering from what we talked about with the new paramore album except the thing is is with paramore is that they had a strong foothold to build off of and I don't feel like Miley has ever had that. She's never had something like a core to her sound to then take in another direction. It's just been complete reestablishment, complete reestablishment, complete reestablishment. And that's something that I know that Miley's like fans are bothered by. I remember a lot of the discourse around Plastic Hearts is that like a lot of people were saying that that was her best album. It was like, you know, it was immediate. It was what she should have always done. But some people were like, I don't like how Miley just kind of comes out and sort of disavows all of her previous work whenever she comes out with a new record because it sort of invalidates the, you know, the feelings and connections that you have with that previous music. And I kind of understand where they're coming from, even though I'm obviously not a Miley fan. Like, I get that because you you want to see, like, not because I want every artists to have this A to B progression that you can see develop over a number of records. I just want them to find what works for them. And this is the album of Miley's that I've listened to where I feel like she has the least tight grasp on what she's doing because mm -hmm. there are some songs on here that like, you know, there's some folk pop stuff that kind of reminds me of the most recent Lord album. There's also kind of ventures into something that's a little bit more psychedelic that probably would have been at home on something like uh, Dead Pets or something like the uh, Handstand or River or Violet Chemistry. And I, on the one hand, appreciate being more adventurous in a, a raw respect but on the other hand, I don't like these sounds. I I, I can't really put together what it is about a lot of the production that's, on this that's, album. Other that's than an amazing, being... that should be like, a, that's an amazing byline. Jake Anderson, Jersey Podcast, I don't like these sounds. That's, that is the only thing I could keep coming back to is that I was just like, the, one thing though, is that, like you said, Miley is a talented pop vocalist. And one of my issues with her on Plastic Hearts was that she seemed to finally be leaning into more of her strengths than she ever had before, but she almost leaned into some of them too hard to the point where she just oversang everything. That's true. And it feels like on here, the exact opposite is true and that her kind of, I guess, like scratchier, more worn, sort of older, you know, woman vocals that what basically on what I'm trying to get at here is that she sounds exactly like Stevie Nicks and all of these instrumentals kind of don't work with that timbre. Like it, it's a clash of things that I just do not think mixes well at all. There's an abrasive quality to the vocals and there's a kind of dreaminess to some of these instrumentals. And I don't feel like they complement each other at all. God, especially, especially in the back half of this album, yeah. which I think is honestly 
for the with the exception of uh the closer wonder woman which i do think is actually a decent song and for the record again i largely agree with riley hell i probably dislike the album a little bit more than you do but Mm -hmm. there are a handful of moments on here that i do think venture out into being decent well i think the best song on the record because it is the one moment well there's a couple of moments but the the one moment where she really nails that she nails the power vocal and the instrumental backs her up is jaded like she's really going for it in the vocal there yeah. and that song's produced by greg kirsten as well who is just mm-hmm. the perfect hired hand for this kind of song right because he's great when she that chorus hit she's going i'm sorry that you're changed. like this i can't mm-hmm. because her voice is amazing and i i sound like a fucking horse but the, the <laughs> instrumental matches her when that chorus hits as well and i have to say every time i listen to this album you know and i'm having this kind of visceral reaction to flowers like oh, i can't fucking stand mm-hmm. this hokey fake bullshit about self-love you know jaded almost hits like it's a response to me like oh, i'm sorry that you can't <laughs> get on board with that and while that doesn't negate my criticisms i kind of appreciate that <laughs> i kind of appreciated being slapped in the face a little bit with the second song because that's kind of what i want from miley she's a great power she- performer she's great when she i mean one of the most notable and most celebrated things she's done in the last few years is her cover of blondie's heart of glass because mm. that's the kind of thing she nails she's great with those kinds of songs uh i think that um rose colored lenses as well the third track while it's not quite as in your face has one of the best instrumentals on the record as well yeah and i like what what miley's doing vocally there too um the thing about miley and this new era that she's kind of evolved into is that she feels as though it's like some artists are really great at nailing this kind of old soul thing where they're like, mm-hmm. they might be young, but they feel as though they have this sort of spirit and world weary experience. I, I brought up Lord earlier. That makes them feel as though they have been around for longer than they have been. And they've lived for longer than they have. Miley really goes for that, I think. And she has a voice that can get that across. But there's just something about the way that Miley writes and sings that feels as though she's trying too hard to to sound like, you know, the world weary experienced, you know, 50 year old uh, singer like she's the thing that hit me about that about Miley listening to this is Miley really wants to be pink. That's what I think. Uh, Yeah, desperately wants to be pink. And now pink is an artist who nails regularly and has throughout her career i mean definitely a spotty career but and she has a lot of great singles and on all of those great singles she nails that righteous fury of someone who has had enough bullshit and has also been around long enough to have put up with enough bullshit and so you believe all of the anger in pink's best songs and not just anger but passion as well right it doesn't Mm. always work for pink she's an artist who's all over the shop i think for me but the best moments of pink's singles career i think that's what miley's aspiring to here and she, the she wants is, to make so what really yeah, exactly and you know she wants to have that energy but also kind of be in with the you know the 70s crowd as well like be be in with the stevie nicks being with the joan jets she's got brandy carlisle giving a completely anonymous feature on this album as well <laughs> it's so funny how completely chemistryless their dual performance has it's just miley inhabits like 70 percent of the mix and then like you faintly hear brandy like over the instrumental just kind of echoing and it's just like it's like it's the why same did as you with, 
It's the same as with Joan Jett on Plastic Hearts, where it's like, it feels like this person is just here for the feature credit and how that looks, essentially. And I'm sure, Mm -hmm. you know, Miley loves these artists she collaborates with. I believe that. But I believe she wants to be them more than she really loves the art that they make. Like, I I think that what Miley loves is the idea of being this person more than, you know, it's why it feels so forced. Like, you can't just force yourself into being a new Stevie Nicks or a new Brandy Carlisle or a new Joan Jett. That happens organically out of a set of creative impulses and strengths that just naturally flow out of these people and who they are. Miley is trying so hard to be that. And the harder she tries the more wrong it feels. And and that's the big thing here as well. Like I, that's why the self love anthem feels so hokey and feels so, I don't buy it for a second. You know, there's mm-hmm. moments on here where Miley uses this particular snarl and, and kind of, um, you know, earthier quality to her voice to give this sense of character. Um, like on the song, muddy feet, where she does that, get the fuck out of my house with this shit <laughs> thing. And I, on the one hand, that is a more memorable moment vocally on the record. Like I, I remember oh, that for certain. in my head. But again, it also just feels like Miley wants so bad to to have this kind of righteous, angry kind of personality of, of the woman scorned who also has the power to essentially kind of raise the earth around the people who have done her wrong. And it feels so cheap what is sia doing on this song god what the fuck sucks. does sia add to the theme of this song or to the sound of it or anything it, it's complete she, mismatch miley when going for this attitude can't even match the energy of like olivia rodrigo or billy eilish like it, it's it's just it's a mode that she's constantly trying to evoke aesthetically but never spiritually and i feel like that's basically my problem with her as an artist is that miley is a it, she is a purely reactive artist from the get go like her earliest era of solo music is her reacting against what the public perceived her to be they saw her as hannah montana they saw her as miley cyrus the disney channel kid so she made edgy pop music where she was like this, yeah this this crazy hellcat sex demon thing and you know and then she sort of pivoted into bangers by just leaning into that even harder and just being raunchy and just kind of debasing herself drowning herself in drugs and sex and all of this stuff and it was always to push a front to push a narrative that not not to say i am this but to say i'm not something else and that's in every other album after that dead pets is like um like her collaboration with the flaming lips to like, me that's that her says, wanting to be taken seriously as an artist yeah right, after Bang. she she wants to get the best new music from Pitchfork. She wants to collaborate with some old indie kids so that they give her some cred and that she can still make weird pop music and then people who are you know writing for indie blogs can be like yo this new miley cyrus album is weird and different and cool and then when that didn't pan out she tries to go around the bend again and be like okay i'll pivot into something that makes more sense to people with the you know uh uh, younger now and it's just like this is the stuff that i started doing but i can do this like with my my added years of experience and then nobody even cared and then plastic hearts happened as a sort of rebuttal to that where it's like i can have punk rock girl energy that totally antithesizes what i did before and on here 
the most often comparison I go for is that she keeps sounding like Billy Joel. Like she keeps writing songs that sound like there are like there's some piano ballads on here. There are more, you know, attempts at pop music that still feel a lot more subdued than they probably should be. And man, this, once you get to like once you get past River and like Violet Chemistry, Muddy Feet, Wild Card Island, I just I am asleep for this entire segment of the album. Right. It is a complete fucking snore. I I will agree with most of that except for the fact that i actually really like island i think it's one of the best produced songs on the album part of that is because it's produced by bj oh, burton who uh we've talked yeah. about when we when we talked about uh the albums of low and of uh, many other artists as well i think that's a musical pivot that i mean first of all it just sounds more musically invigorated and interesting than anything else uh on the record for a long time leading up to it and part of that is probably bj burton and the other collaborators but i think miley does offer something on that song that feels distinct in a way that i enjoy that Sorry, said matt chamberlain is on this song i mean he he does a lot of session work so that doesn't surprise me I, too much i still but... i just <sighs> uh i will say though encounter to that the most redundant song maybe the most meaningless song on the record it would be my least favorite for if it weren't for just the pure visceral reaction that flowers gives me for whatever reason but the other song that feels the most like what are we doing? Is wild card. Like, it's just yeah. so fucking pointless. You know, it, the, I, we get it. I'm a wild card, baby. I can't be predicted. I love when you hold me, but loving you isn't ever enough. And don't wait for me because forever may never come. I'm, you I'm, can't I'm be tamed. It's kind of fucking sad, honestly, hearing Miley trying to sell this at this point while she's also trying to do this oppositional shit that you've beautifully described where she's com completely trying to reinvent herself, but ultimately keeps coming back to this well you know, the, and again, that's another thing that m makes Muddy Feet feel so kind of like unbelievable, um, because I don't, because yeah. Muddy doesn't sell that very well. She, there's, she makes me laugh with the way she should get out of fuck out of my house, but that's it. <laughs> um, and I mean, okay, you can just, I, you can give me a pass for liking Island, even though you hate it. I'll give you a pass for liking Wonder Woman, even if it fucking makes me roll my eyes for three minutes straight. Oh, I mean, it's 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 cringe, but it's still one of the moments on here that I just, I, I'm at my best with Miley when it feels like no matter how cringe she might be, she still feels the most authentic because that's that's the problem here. And I know we talk about authenticity in pop music and music in general a lot. And it's it really comes down to this. I don't care about authenticity in an isolated sort of sense. But the, the problem with Miley is that I have never once believed that she actually enjoys making the music that she's making. Like, I I want an album from her where it feels like she like she's actually interested in these ideas because I feel like her sort of flippant attitude towards all of her previous music just indicates that she is going by the whims of anyone other than her artistic inclinations. And I know she has them. They show up in spots, but it's just also like, what are we doing here? Like, yeah, what is this? It's really funny that the the lead line of the press notes that you get with a lot of new releases on Apple Music uh, is, who exactly is Miley Cyrus? Which is a great I don't fucking, fucking question. No, and the I've press heard more the, than half of her discography, and I still don't know. The press notes try to make the point that this is the album where she resolves all the different threads of her artistic 
uh, identity and i don't buy it for a second no you know it's quite interesting i think that the biggest collaborators on this record are uh tyler johnson and kid harpoon both of whom who have produced extensively for harry styles and here's an interesting case of an Ooh. artist i think who has more in common with miley than people might initially think you know both of them of course originating from the kind of teen pop child style world yeah but also being artists who i think you know personally for me i know not everyone agrees have really struggled to find a clear artistic identity in their solo work and oh, yeah. have kind of started with more promise with that solo work than they've ultimately delivered so far and it's kind of the only difference is that harry's just a little bit better at it well harry yeah they're both power performers they've both kind of learned to lean into how they can be power performers harry i think if i'm honest is better at image and, and has a better oh, PR certainly. team and that's kind of what makes him work a bit more than Miley that I, though I think honestly, again, he, he needs to do some real, he needs to really kind of just flip the script a little bit for whatever he does next, because it's starting to get a little bit tiresome. And but even then there's a narrative that's being pushed with Harry, be it from him, his team from marketing or whatever with Miley, who, what, when, where I got nothing. Yeah. With Harry, it's like, I, I, I feel as though he's definitely still making music for, our demographic you know whereas yeah. miley is trying to make music for and probably succeeding to be honest to make music for like a you know the mid 40s power you know you know the you know the the specific brand of white woman you know of a specific age you know moms who are going to be in there wine moms who 10 years ago were complaining that she was getting naked on a wrecking ball that's her audience now well yeah, or I think it's I think a slightly different kind. You know, the kind of wild car trying to recapture youth drives a, a four yeah. wheel drive, which I guess you guys call pickup trucks. <laughs> Women in the midst of a midlife crisis who are just like you know, you know, going you know, just completely living on the edge essentially, and wanting to have someone to soundtrack that. And I would totally believe that Miley works a lot for that demographic, but here for us, it just feels it feels ridiculously phony. Okay, favorite tracks, least favorite track and rating, endless summer vacation. You know, I, it's it is it is a, somewhat ironic that the title of this album evokes the Beach Boys in an era that is you know past their prime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are your what? Are, uh, I'll go first this time. We'll, we'll do it first. Yeah. My three favorite tracks are Jaded, Rose Colored Lenses, and uh island least favorite is flowers as i've you know said yeah. a lot uh the album is gonna get a five from me my three favorite tracks are going to be the three track run of thousand miles you and handstand i i think those are that's that's probably the album at its best but not a whole lot to say um least favorite <sighs> I'm torn. It's either Violet Chemistry or Muddy Feet, just because Muddy Feet is so fucking confusing and Violet Chemistry just kind of sounds like ass. Violet Chemistry, why not? Yeah. Uh, four four out of ten. I, Miley, if, if you take... I'm saying this like she's going to watch it. If her fans take anything away from this, should you be watching? I want to like her so bad, she's just not letting me. 
unless something, unless we do really like the next Miley Cyrus record, I doubt we'll ever talk about her again. Is it fair yeah. to say, you know, I know a lot of people would say The Climb is her best song, but I feel like I'm at the point where I just party in the USA. Is no, gonna, is gonna be absolutely song. team party in the USA, yeah. 100%. I know every single line of that song, absolutely. That That's going to be, that That and Mr. Brightside are like, like two kind of core. <laughs> Get karaoke. the white people turn up. Yeah, no, no, both of those songs, <laughs> I, I've been to like balls like, at, while I was at university and both of those songs have completely destroyed um, at those events you know uh party hitting hitting mr brightside at the function uh anyway uh, let's move on <laughs> to oh we've done we're done let us know at home what you think of either the albums we've discussed today fever rays radical romantics or miley cyrus's endless album we want to hear from you we want to hear your perspectives we want to hear what your thoughts are especially if you disagree with us but also if you agree as well because who doesn't love a little bit of self-congratulatory patter let us know in the comments below what your thoughts are if you enjoyed the video please consider giving it a like and subscribing as well if you have not read about those things help us out a lot if you want to go above and beyond to support us even more you get the join button for just one dollar a month support us directly become a member of the jams d family get your name in the title call of every video on this channel Plus, if you want to recommend us some music to listen to, your recommendation will go to the top of the pile. As always, though, folks, rock over London, rock on Chicago, easy, breezy, beautiful cover girl.